welcome to another Happy Manifesto podcast. I'm Henry Stewart. And I'm Maureen Egbe, and I'm excited to be here again. <laughs> Excellent. What have we got, Henry? What have we got? We've got Luke Kite, who runs Redico, one of the UK's few self-managing organisations. Fantastic. I mean, that's a topic that people are really trying to get their heads around. So this is going to be really good. It is, isn't it? And tell me, Maureen, what are you joyful about? So one of the things I'm really joyful about is I love the outdoors. You know, I like doing lots of things outside, going out. Um, I love all different kinds of weather except for thunderstorms. And one of the places <laughs> I love to go to... You don't like thunderstorms? Well, I don't mind watching it from within, inside, <laughs> but not being out in it. And the reason I say this is because I have an allotment. And I do, I do. I surprise you every time, Henry. You do, you do. (laughs) So I do, I have an allotment and I haven't been there for quite a while. And I managed to get down there um, at the weekends and um, I love it. It's a moment to be out of the city. You know, I feel like I'm in the countryside and um, just working, working the lands and being with nature. So what's giving you joy? Well, mine is, again, one outside work. I went for a 100-mile cycle uh, uh, last last Sunday. Uh, you know I love cycling, don't you? I know, but 100 miles, Henry. 100 miles, 6,000 feet. It was glorious. Absolutely glorious. It's in preparation because I'm going to do five days in the Pyrenees, three mountains a day in July with the with the Hort route. So I've got to be in good training for that. Oh, that's exciting. So tell me, how long does it take you to cycle 100 miles? Um, it took me six hours and 10 minutes. Continuously? No, it can't be. Well, it was six hours 30 with the brakes. Okay, brilliant. Oh, wow. Um, I need to get faster. Oh, I need to get faster. So what are you aiming for? Oh, um... Five and a half. All right. Well, keep us updated how you're going. I'm excited to find out. Okay. And so tell me, what makes you happy at... uh... So a tip for creating a happy workplace. Yeah. So a tip that I would love to share is around, again, around involving people in decision making. And the reason this came to my mind is that we have a happy day coming up soon. And this is a opportunity where we all come together and we discuss major decisions that are happening, major things that are happening. And it's about sharing ideas. And that's the best thing that you can basically do. Make sure that everybody's involved, that they know what's going on and that they're part of the decision making process. Absolutely. Absolutely. My tip, well, I just did a a blog on, on LinkedIn about how you should have two tracks of promotion. One track for people who uh, who manage people or, or, or coach people and one track for people in their core jobs. I mean, it was um, based around uh, a client that said that she joined her, her workplace and her manager said to her, I'm not very good with people. I probably won't remember your name. Um, I'd much rather be sitting in the corner writing reports. Now, of course, what should that person be doing? They should never be managing people. What they should be doing is writing reports, and if they're good at it, being paid a lot, a lot for it. Um, and that's what we do at Happy. We have one track of people who um, who coach people, um, and one track who are good at their core job. And I, I'm not in the people that coach people. <laughs> okay, and I coach people. <laughs> you coach people, yeah. I do. Absolutely. I like talking rather than writing. <laughs> <laughs> now you like listening. I do. Of course, I do. 
So today I'm delighted to include Luke Kite, who is involved in Redico, one of the UK's only, one of the few, anyway, one of the few UK's self-managing organisations. Well, hi, Henry, and thank you very much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here to talk to you a little bit about Redico and what we do and what we get up to. So, Luke, tell us, what does Redico do? Um, So in terms of us as a business, we're a digital marketing company. So we specialise in SEO, which stands for Search Engine Optimization. So in layman's terms, it's very much helping companies get to the top of Google for their specific search terms. Okay, and so tell us about becoming a self-managing organisation. When did that start and how did you go about it? Yeah, so this is a, quite a long journey, I suppose. It started back in sort of the end of 2017, start of 2018. And I suppose if I take you back to the very beginnings of Redico back in 2012, we'd always try to create a fun place to work. So I joined the company in 2014, just a couple of years after company was started and for us it was all about trying to create a fun place and let people to get people to enjoy coming into the office and that meant table tennis tables or ping pong tables or nights out and events and activities and all that type of thing everything we tried to do to create a happy fun place to work and we got to 2017 2018 and started to do the the sort of employer net promoter score or the employee net promoter score and when we were getting the scores through realized actually that score wasn't as high as we expected it to be, and had to kind of seek answers and solutions about why that was the case, and ultimately realised that despite all the money we were spending on the team, despite everything we were trying to do, it wasn't ticking all the boxes in terms of engagement and giving people freedom and trust and responsibility to go and do the job their way and to really own their career and own their progression and, and essentially what they're doing day to day. So we kind of looked at how can we adapt to the business, what can we do going forward, and to do this, we kind of sought expert advice from outside of Redico, outside digital marketing, by reading different books, speaking to different experts on the subject. One of those books was The Happy Manifesto. Um, so I thought I'd get that in where I can do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, just uh, understanding sort of the, 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 the different ways that we could approach business and what we could do differently. And this all led to us creating our own manifesto, our own kind of way of working that would be different and looking at okay well how can we give people more job ownership how can we be completely transparent as a business how can we change the management structure of the business to kind of move away from sort of clear line management to a place where people own what they do on a daily basis and they're in complete control of of how they work and without that layer of approval how can we move to a place where Essentially, teams are coming together and, and we're building these really powerful departments and teams of people rather than a, a powerful boss or a powerful manager who holds all of the sort of decision making, all of the sort of strategic insights towards the department. How can we kind of get everyone involved in doing that going forward? And that's where this my kind of manifesto started back in 2018 was really just these ideas and these different bits of inspiration that we pulled from all over the place to try to bring together to form what we thought would be a better, more powerful, more unified company. And so that's where it kind of started. And then since then, it's evolved quite significantly. And where was it that you decided to stop having managers? Yeah, so <laughs> we never really talked about, at the, at the time when we started this, we never talked about self-management or self-organisation as a word. It was something that just happened to come along later down the line. But it was in the first kind of iteration of the manifesto in 2018 where this idea of splitting the role of a manager in two kind of came into it. I know obviously that's mentioned in the Happy Manifesto where you've got the two roles of a manager where role A is around strategy and the the future decision making and planning out what a department might look like in the future. 
And then role B, a very different set of skills around motivation and support and encouraging and empowering other people within the team. And so very early on, we were very much keen on, I suppose, following that same sort of pattern whereby we still needed people in the company that could future plan and strategize kind of what a department might look like in 12 months, 24 months, five years down the line. But ultimately, those people didn't need to have people responsibilities. So we wanted to completely kind of separate those and move away from that and bring in coaches into the business who could actually kind of, I suppose you choose your own coach and with that, then you choose the person that can motivate and, and it's best there to kind of support you and, and, and mirror you and give you a good time to reflect on, on what you're doing well and what you could work on even more. That's crucial because the pe- most people who become managers do it because they're great at their core jobs, don't they? And they're not necessarily good at good at managing people. So you've managed to to split that. That's brilliant. Yeah. So that was that was it. So that a lot of that inspiration was from from the Happy Manifesto in terms of the the, the ideas and the values behind that. And that was one of the very earliest things that we did as part of that. I mean, at the time, there were lots of questions and unknowns about what that might look like. Obviously, when you move away from managers, you start having questions. Oh, okay, well. Who does annual appraisals or who sets the salary or who's in charge of promotions? So ultimately, we had to come up with our own ideas, our own vision of what that might look like and how we would go about that in the future. But there are all fun challenges to address because ultimately we were trying to almost create these different ideas or learn different ways of doing things because a lot of it is just mindset as well. Like we, we, we kind of grow into the business world and the work world with this idea of having manager and, and that person's got a manager and so on and so on and so on. So actually just try and create a vision or a future where that doesn't exist. And you can kind of take that and come up with your own solutions and own ideas about how could business actually look that's different to that? What could we do differently? Um, so that's exciting as well, as well as challenging. So who does do the performance appraisal? Well, so we actually ended up being moving into the coaches. So again, so mm-hmm. I feel like I just, there was still a lot of happy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. It was create like a, like a six month check in with a coach and try and create a more powerful situation where people enjoyed having those meetings. And then I, I remember sitting on a, a meeting somewhere, I can't remember where it was now, and someone said that often when it comes to annual appraisals, you've got someone going into that meeting thinking, well, how much am I going to be able to ask for? What salary do I want? And you've got the manager trying to manage the budget. And so ultimately, both parties are thinking about the money and neither party is thinking about actual performance and, and sort of future and growth of that person, where that where that person could go next. So really, we wanted to kind of separate those two completely, remove this idea of annual appraisals being tied to money and make it a really positive environment where we talk about success and aspirations and where that person wants to go and and how they're going to sort of really take their career sort of forward in, over the next sort of six to 12 months and what that looks like to get people a bit more excited about what the future holds for them. That sounds very different to a normal performance appraisal, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I mean, typically, I think you kind of go in there and you get told what hasn't gone so well or what you need to improve or um, you sort of see a load of numbers on a spreadsheet, whatever that might look like. So yeah, it's very different, but hopefully a lot more sort of positive and empowering for people as well. Absolutely. And the sal- you, you, you also mentioned who, who chooses the salary. So who does choose the salary at, at Redigo? Yeah. So again, another, another tricky one. So we, we ended up moving to a salary panel. So we got the team to vote for who they thought should be part of a salary panel. They elected four people to do that. And then every six months, people in the team then applied for a salary increase. The panel then can review the applications. We've got a number of different criteria that gets looked at. So we have marketplace research, which takes place every year to give a a benchmark of where a particular role is in the industry. We've got sort of a, we look at inflation as well across the board and we do sort of separate inflation increases. 
people have got their own training matrix. It's really clear where they need to progress and what they can work on going forward. So if you join the company in a, in a junior role, there's a clear sort of sort of future in terms of how can you then move into a senior role in that particular sort of profession. And again, they can work on that in, in kind of that self-managed way and build on their skills and progress in their role at their own pace and their own time. But they can use that to reflect as part of that salary application as well. So that salary panel is then responsible for sort of making adjustments across the board. I'm happy we have a salary panel as well. And what tends to happen is the people that get elected tend to be the leaders of the organisation because they have the because people expect them to have the the overall picture. Is that the same at Redico, or do you get other people involved? Yeah, so funny enough, it did work out in a very similar way. So when we did sort of the, the election, it ended up being the four people who probably were four of the most senior people. So you've got like the managing director, the operations director, um, sort of a person that's in charge of finance, finance director, and then myself as well. So <laughs> it kind of felt, I think people just picked the four they felt actually it made the most sense being on that panel. Yeah, what's important is that they are, that it is an election that people do, you know. So if, for instance, I wasn't re- well regarded, I wouldn't be chosen. Yeah. And the other thing you have is unlimited holiday. Yes. So again, that was one of the, I suppose, one section of the first iteration of our manifesto. So one whole part of it was this idea of work-life balance and giving people the trust and freedom to be able to go and work in a way that's right for them. And so that kind of form, there were sort of the three main areas for that. The first one being that we'll give people the complete flexibility in terms of, and this was before COVID as well. So this is when it was still even more radical <laughs> than it is now. I know obviously COVID has made things a little bit more of a mainstream now in terms of flexibility. But when we introduced this, it was very much a case of you can work where you want to. So there was no requirement to come to the office. You could choose the hours you work. So it was, again, not a case of you do nine to five or 10 till six or eight till four, but actually whatever hours you want to work during the day or the week, you've got that flexibility to be able to choose that. And there's no approval process for that because without the line management in place, there's no no approval process at all for people to, to have that, that box to tick. So there was that side of things. We had the unlimited holidays, so giving people the, the chance to book holiday as and when they want to without a cap in place. And then we sort of pay people for every sick day as well, rather than having a cap of one, two or three days, et cetera, that a, a business might have. And the Olympics holiday is an interesting one because when you're creating this initial manifesto and you're thinking through, okay, well, what's going to work and what's not going to work? And Olympics holiday is one of those ones where there's so many questions that come into it. It's like, what if everyone takes the same day off? Or what if someone doesn't turn up for a month? Like, what does that look like? But part of this policy and part of what we did and the rollout was, okay, well, it's complete flexibility and complete trust and responsibility in you to manage this. But at the same time, there's a commitment from you to have a positive impact on your job, your team, your clients, sort of Redico in general. And so obviously if someone doesn't turn up for a month, that's not necessarily having a positive impact on on the team or their role or their clients or whoever it is they're working with on a daily basis. So that was kind of the, the wording we used for that. And again, I hear a lot of people saying, well, it's a bit of a PR stunt. People don't really take it or they're afraid to take it or they, they feel they're going to be judged if they take too much holiday. But again, the challenge here, I think, that a lot of companies have is that they often introduce it as a bit of a PR stunt that they can kind of put on job descriptions or sell on social media rather than actually with the positive intentions of health and well-being and driving improvements in those areas. And I think by having unlimited holiday as a standalone policy, it won't work because it just looks like a bit of a shiny thing to have and to shout about. Whereas actually when we implemented it, it was part of a much wider strategy to drive 
health and well-being improvements across the board, which means that actually people see that and then they do see the benefits of taking it. And as such, we've seen an increase in holiday year on year and people not abusing the system as well. So I think in general, the average is around, including bank holidays, it's around sort of the 38 days a year type mark. So it's a lot more than kind of the average person to take in a normal company, which is good to see. So it shows that it's having the, the, the right benefits and it's being used in the right ways. And do some people take an awful lot of holiday? It, it varies across the board. Um, like you get some people that go into the forties, some people in, in sort of the mid to late twenties. So it really, it really depends across across the team and who's doing it. I mean, I remember the very first year that we introduced it, I just had a lot of stuff on <laughs> that I needed to take holiday for. So it was a case of I was having a wedding and then I'd have a honeymoon and there was other sort of commitments I had to make. So again, if I only had 20 days holiday to take throughout the year, I would have been struggling to be able to, to keep all those commitments. So for me, that was a really busy first year. But then the year later, actually, I might not have much on and I maybe I don't need to take as much holiday as someone else might in the team. So I think at different stages of life, people need to take different amounts of holiday depending on what's going on at work, what's going on at home, what they're trying to or hoping to do in sort of their personal and professional life. So it really does vary. But luckily, we've not had an issue where there's been red flags on someone. But the the other thing is that places like Netflix, where they take unlimited holiday, often it means you take less holiday. Yes. And then that's the thing. And I think, again, it all comes down to this idea of how are people selling that as, as, a, as a, an unlimited holiday? Are they kind of implementing it with the right with the right ideas and the right ways of saying that this is all for health and well-being and it's part of this bigger strategy and this bigger piece of trying to promote health and well-being and this trust and this freedom this flexibility in the way that we're working and so we found that 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 wasn't the case just because of the way that we promoted it and the way we did it but i often see on linkedin or twitter someone shouting about this idea that it doesn't work because of x y and z but i just think it's a little bit just comes down to implementation how well how well that goes and so you you implemented all this in, in about nine months, I think, didn't you? Yes, that initial manifesto was implemented over nine months from March to December 2018. And then since then, obviously, another sort of four or five years has passed. So there's been constant sort of reiterations of that and, and adding things and tweaking things and changing things over the years. But in terms of results, there's been, I mean, very successful for us as a business. So and we've kind of used a lot of different ways to measure this. So it started from like a financial perspective. We looked at revenue and saw that actually revenue increased about 40% in the, the year immediate from these changes, which showed that actually, despite giving people more trust, more flexibility, more freedom, more responsibility, the business metrics performed well. So revenues and profits went up about 40% and continued to increase year on year as well. Obviously, it didn't increase as much over COVID years for, for obvious reasons, just clients pausing and different industries having having their challenges but we continue to grow as a business still despite those challenges as well which was good to see and to show that actually the team could come together and, and really help us through a, a tricky situation like covid was we've got sort of the team happiness so obviously i mentioned at the start that one of the reasons that we went through this change was because of low emps scores following the implementation of it we ended up with a, a world-class emps and it then stayed at world class for the next eight consecutive quarters, which showed actually what we were doing was a good kind of more engaging for the team, creating a happier workplace, basically, where people had more freedom, more trust, more responsibility to, to really own their career. And then that translated to better client scores as well. So again, we started off with an excellent MPS on the client side. And again, following this kind of rollout, we then jumped up to a world class MPS as well from a client side, and which showed that then demonstrated the happier team the happier the clients and that kind of showed that it nicely goes goes hand in hand 
Now, Net Promoter Score is where you ask somebody how likely they are to recommend a product or service to a friend. So in your case, um, your SEO services. Now, Employee Net Promoter Score is where you recommend how likely you are to recommend your company to a colleague or a friend. And as you say, 70% is world class and you've certainly gone way beyond that. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So anything above 70. So before when we start, before we did the manifesto, our score was around sort of the 40 mark. So it wasn't awful, um, but we've just seen a huge uplift since doing it. Right. So so the, the idea of... of of football tables and things like that that didn't that didn't work no absolutely not and it was one of those things where it's almost you kind of got to look at culture as as almost like a house so it's almost if you look at a, a nice house in any given road it's got a nice sort of picket fence out front and you look at that and think oh that's a that's a great house but ultimately if the foundations of that house aren't right then that house will eventually come crumbling down and that's kind of how i see culture in that culture is the foundations of the organization and you can have sort of the table tennis tables and, and the, I don't know, great pensions or private medical insurance or nights out or various events. And that's kind of the walls and the windows and doors and the chimney. But without the right sort of cultural foundations in terms of how do you expect people to turn up to work? What do you kind of expect to see? How are you going to give people that freedom and that trust to really be able to do a great job without those foundations in place? then the culture will end up crumbling crumbling away. And we reached essentially reached a situation where we had to revolutionise the culture in the way that we worked and build better foundations going forward. Or we just had to hope for the best and continue building a bigger house on weak foundations. And I think that's where a lot of companies struggle is that they reach that breaking point as they're growing and don't strip things back in there and kind of actually... What do we need to do to really build those better foundations and just grow that that bigger house, which eventually comes comes crumbling down? So that was kind of the break point for us. And I think the key point is you measure people on their output, not on their input, not on their whatever they bring when when they turn up at the office or whatever things like that. You measure people on their output. Is that right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So it's all about well, what is that? What is that? What's the output that person's going to achieve? So we don't really care about how many hours someone's working on a, on a daily or weekly basis. So we, we, we need to have some base level for our clients to ensure they're getting sort of value for money. But ultimately, we measure output. So it's things like the NPS scores of our clients, kind of the results that our clients see. Um, our 360 reviews that we do in-house to make sure that people are having a positive impact on the, on the team around them. So those are the types of metrics that we look at instead in terms of, okay, well, what is that person achieving um, with the full sort of flexibility and, and transparency and, and job ownership that they've got and what does that look like so for us it's definitely about output rather than input excellent and the 360 degrees how does that work is it is it the kind of stop start continue method or is it something else so we try and tie it into the values of the organization so you can choose anyone you want to to review you it's all completely anonymized so you see who scored you what and um, what feedback they've given you you can also look at anyone else across the organization and see what they've what feedback they've given to other people and what feedback a particular person has, has received. So that, again, that's all part of our, our transparency. We try and score the questions in terms of our values. So we've got three values in place and we have then behaviours tied to those values. And so then there's sort of five behaviours for each value. You get a score for each of those behaviours. And at the end, it's very much a case of what's this person doing really well you want to see more of? What would you like this person to start doing? And then it's like kind of anything else that can kind of help that person as well. So we try and bring sort of a lot of lot of things into those three sixes to make it more rounded, more useful, and more valuable for people that are going through the process. 
Excellent. So tell me, Luke, what are your three top tips for workplace happiness? Yeah, so I think the first one would be that to start with trust is one of our values. And it's something that really needs it. It's kind of a, it's, there's a mindset shift, I suppose, when it comes to revolutionizing workplaces and really trying to build things for the future. And ultimately, a lot of the processes and ways of working that we see nowadays are on this idea that people don't want to turn up to work. They don't want to do a good job. They want to abuse a system. And, and, and ultimately, then we build these policies of distrust and say, look, you've got to work nine to five, five days a week, X amount of holiday days, X amount of this, that or the other. And it's all of these rules and regulations that are, are kind of outdated, in my opinion, and actually we can move forward with more kind of practical, forward-thinking ways and progressive ways of working. So starting with trust and building the company for the 95% of people that will and want to do a really great job and want that level of ownership, want to come in and, and really own what they're doing, it's really important. Again, it comes back to kind of the idea of that house, but treating perks and benefits as, as the cherry on top. So rather than starting with happiness and thinking, well, what's going to create a happy workplace? Is it going to be kind of the, the nights out or the activities or the, the day meetups, whatever that might be? Yeah, okay, it's going to, it's going to create a little bit of camaraderie and maybe a bit of a feel-good factor on that particular day. But over a long period of time, in the, in the long term, that's not going to be the case whatsoever. So it's a case of, well, what can we do to really change those foundations? So how can we change kind of the organizational structure and really move things forward? So rather than treating perks and benefits to be all and end all. And then the last one would be just to include people in the decision-making and the strategy across the business as well, particularly when you're going through a process of change and looking at progressive change and what can you do going forward? I would say that including people throughout the process is really important because ultimately they're the ones that are going to be living and breathing the policies and the procedures and the ways of working that you want to implement. So getting them involved really early on helps iron out some of the problems and say, well, okay, I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. So again, I've come back to the unlimited holiday at the time thinking, but what if everyone takes the day off? Like, how does that work? By getting the team involved and say, look, these are some of the challenges that I've got from X policy, they can say, well, actually, this is how we can safeguard against that. Or this is how that could work in, in reality. And, and this is where we could move forward in this way. So you don't have to have all of the answers. And you can go out and speak to the team who can actually offer really good insight and valuable information to help you progress things forward. So trust, culture and include your people. Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> A long-winded way of saying that. <laughs> no, you're great. OK, thank you very much for that, Luke. That's a brilliant insight into how to create a self-managing organisation so much in there it's he's just shown how possible it is to create a self-management organization and i love the point that he made and it's um, alluding to the tip that you shared um about splitting the role of management you know having been clear about who is more strategic and those that want to work more with the people side so making them coaches so i really love that and the fact of the holidays, Henry. <laughs> Unlimited holidays. Very yeah. interesting. Oh, you'd like that for happy, would you? I'd love that for happy. But I think <laughs> <laughs> But I think he's really right in the sense of that again, it's making it a positive intent of making sure that well being is at the heart of everything and therefore people would not want to abuse that. And of course the key about unlimited holidays is that they have a minimum. Because there's some organisations that say, oh, we have unlimited holidays, but actually people take less. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, and but the key, I mean, the key point for me was that they did it in just eighteen months. Now it's taken happy years to get to a self-managing organisation. And I know we didn't, you know, we maybe didn't have the the other companies to to refer to, but to do it, I know just twenty-five people, but if you can do it in just eighteen months, then. Anybody can do it. Yeah. And when you involve people, they get on board and they will make it happy because it's all about the people. It's all about the people. It just reminded me of our conversation with Tom Peters. And that's one of our, so everybody encourage you, go back and listen back to Tom Peters. Because what Luke talked about was about people being happy. And it was not just about the rewards or the adding the games and making it fun, but it was that making sure that you create the foundation, create the um, the culture. And then when your people are happy, then your clients are going to be happy because they reflect your clients and your customers. And that was something that Tom Peters also spoke about. So I love that. Absolutely. Okay, so let's create joy at work. Let's keep creating. 